Hello and welcome to I Can Relate. I'm Jessica Burns. This podcast puts you in the shoes of others as people take us on their journeys of personal and sometimes sensitive experiences. These are usually topics that are not spoken about and the hope here is that by bringing them to light, it helps others feel less alone in what they're going through. I look forward to embarking on this journey with you as we develop a greater understanding and empathy for one another. Today, I sit down with Terry Tucker. He's been battling different forms of cancer for decades now. And while he lives in constant pain and discomfort, he continues to live a life with purpose. So tune in to hear Terry's greatest life lessons. Hello, Terry, and welcome. How are you doing? I'm great, Jessica. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to talking to you today. Yes. So you are in Colorado. What's it looking like today? It's beautiful. It's about 74 degrees and sunny. Oh, Colorado is such a dreamy place. Um, I've always said if I was going to live anywhere else, it'd be Colorado or British Columbia. Um, Yeah. So you have a wife and daughter um, living in Colorado with you, right? That's correct. Yeah. How old is your daughter? So our daughter's 25 years old and, and she's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy. And she just got lucky and is stationed here in Denver. She's actually in the new branch of the military that we created last year, I guess, or the year before, the Space Force. So so she's kind of on the ground floor of a new branch of the military, which is pretty neat. So she is embodying what you say, which is live uh, exciting life. She's doing that. Yeah, every, I, I, I'm assuming she is because everything she does is top secret. So I have no idea exactly what she does. But uh, yes, she is definitely kind of living her best life right now. Oh my God, that is super badass. Good shout out to your daughter. Um, I'm, I'm, we're similar ages then because I'm 26. Um, okay. so that's super cool. She kind of is taking after you because you used to be a SWAT. I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator. There we go. That's a mouthful. Yeah. So I mean, flying, SWAT, not, it's the same thing, right, Terry? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a high stress, you know, kind of a type personality type of job. Okay. Got it. So would you mind um, sharing your cancer journey with us? Sure. So 2012, I am a girls high school basketball coach. And I have a callus break open on the bottom of my foot. Don't think a lot of it because I'm a coach. I'm on my feet a lot. But after a couple of weeks, it doesn't heal. I go and see a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend of mine. He takes an x-ray and he's like, I think you have a little cyst in there and I can probably cut it out. And he does. He cuts it out, shows it to me. It's just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it. No blood, no dark spots, nothing that would give either one of us any type of concern. but he sends it off to pathology anyway. Two weeks later, I get the call from him. And like I said, he was a friend. So the more difficulty he was having describing what was going on, the more scared I became. Until finally, he just kind of laid it out. He said, Terry, I've been a doctor for 25 years, and I have never seen this form of cancer. I have a rare form of melanoma um, that appears, uh, there's only about 6,500 people in the US. I don't know worldwide, but 6,500 people in the U.S. who get this form of cancer every year, and it appears either on the palms of your hands or the bottom of your feet. 
So he said, you should go to MD Anderson, which is probably the best cancer hospital we have in the United States. So I did. I had two surgeries to remove the tumor in my foot and all the lymph nodes in my groin. And when I healed, I was put on a weekly injection of a drug called interferon. Interferon for me was just a horrible, nasty, debilitating drug. It gave me flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. And I took that medicine for almost five years. So imagine having the flu every week for five years. Oh my God. And that was just to keep the disease from coming back. That was not a cure or anything like that. The disease finally did come back in 2017 when I stopped the interferon because I ended up um, in the intensive care unit with a fever of 108 degrees due to the toxicity of the medicine. 2018, had my left foot amputated. 2019, two more surgeries on my shin. And then 2020, an undiagnosed tumor in my ankle grew large enough that it uh, fractured my tibia, my shin bone. And my only recourse there after more testing was to have my left leg amputated above the knee. And I also found out that I have tumors in my lungs. So on that uplifting note. <laughs> oh, Terry, that, Jesus, just when you think like you've kind of d done it all, seen <clears throat> the worst, it keeps coming. What has that news been like for your family? <clears throat> I mean, it's certainly been difficult. When, when I was diagnosed initially, our daughter was in high school and my wife and I made the, the conscious decision that we would never lie to her. We would tell her things obviously that were age appropriate depending on where she was. She's an adult now, so she's fully involved in, in decisions and things like that. But you know, my wife is Norwegian by descent and is pretty strong, pretty tough. But the, the physical pain that I go through, I think is easy, or maybe not easy, easier compared to the mental pain, the emotional pain that, that my wife and my daughter go through. My mother's still alive. She's 86. And I have two brothers that are also uh, still alive. So, you know, there, there's a lot of people. It's kind of like throwing a stone, you know, in the lake. You know, the ripple effect of one person really kind of affects so many other people, your friends, your family, and things like that. So it's not been easy, but I, I couldn't have done it without them. Yeah. I just had someone on for the season finale for season two who suffered from long COVID. And he, his conclusion to everyone was, he said, you know, I'm, yes, I'm suffering. And everyone asked me how I'm doing, but people rarely ask my well-being supporters how they're doing. Like what he said was reach out to those people as well. Cause you said like your wife, she's tough physically, but it'd be nice to hear it. How are you doing? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, when I had my leg amputated, it was literally, I was the only surgery that day. They had to give special permission. Nobody could be with me. You know, my wife dropped me off at the hospital and she was like, what do I do? Like, just go in the parking lot and pray, because really, that's all you can do. I've got to go do this because, you know, alone. I mean, it was frightening for me. It was frightening for her, but we got through it. Yeah. Um, do you think that your training, um, which is why I mentioned before, <clears throat> do you think your training with being a SWAT hostage negotiator, see, I got it this time, um, helped you battling cancer? Because when you were doing that, you know, you knew the possibility of death, um, but also of never giving up. So has that training helped you? Yes, to answer your question. But I think it's also, you know, being part of a, of a team, you know, realizing how important that 
you know, if you mess up, you're letting the team down. It's, it's just not about you. And, and I really think that has taught me because I'm on this clinical trial drug now. And, and yes, I mean, in a selfish way, I want that to work for me. But I also realize that the information that my doctors are gleaning from, from all this, you know, they take blood, you know, how much, how much of the drug is in your, in your body at 15 minutes, you know, an hour, two hours, three hours, four, all this is going to hopefully develop a drug that will help somebody else, you know, maybe 10 years from now, when I'm probably not going to be here to help them live longer, stay with their family longer and things like that. So this is not just about me. It's bigger than me. And I learned that early on that, you know, I mean, let's face it, the biggest team game we all play is the game of life. And I've, I've been very fortunate to have, you know, a really good example and role models during all my times uh, as an athlete. Yeah. And as a coach, I think like, I, I think I heard you on another podcast, you said you found your purpose, you found your reason you were here. Would you share what you think that is? So I, I believe at, at a point in time, you know, I think when we're, you know, when I was, was your age and that, and, and, you know, you graduate from college and you're, you know, I, I was all set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree. And I look back now, like what a knucklehead I was. I didn't know anything about business <laughs> just because I had a degree. Um, but my passion, I felt my purpose was to be in law enforcement, was to be a policeman. And my grandfather was a Chicago policeman during some very rough times, during the depression here in the United States, during prohibition, when alcohol was not allowed. And during, we had a lot of, they had a lot of gangs that, you know, are very famous people who kind of shot the town up. And it wasn't like I really wanted to be like him. He died when I was like seven. So I didn't really know him, but his wife, my grandmother lived until I was in college. So I heard the stories and I wanted to follow that. But my grandfather was also shot in the line of duty with his own gun. And my dad remembered the stories my grandmother told of the knock on the door of Mrs. Sucker, please grab your son, come with us, your husband's been shot. So my dad had my whole life planned out. You know, you're gonna go to college, you're gonna major in business, you're gonna get a job when you get out, you know, you're gonna get married, have 2.4 kids, live in this. I mean, he had it all mapped out. But that was what he wanted for me. That wasn't what I believed my purpose was. So if you look at my career, my first two jobs were in business. I was with Wendy's International, the hamburger chain, um, in their corporate headquarters. That was my first job out of college. And then I was a hospital administrator. And I did that because when I graduated from college, I moved home to find a job because I was the first person in my family to go to college, to graduate from college. And I found that first job at Wendy's, but I also ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mother care for my father and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. So I didn't want to upset my dad. And I, I, I waited until he passed away. And then I followed my purpose. I got into law enforcement and I did it at a fairly late age. I was a 37-year-old rookie policeman, which, you know, I took a lot of Tylenol when I was in the police academy because, you know, my body was not as young as most people. So that was my purpose then. And, and now my purpose, I think, is to put as much goodness, to put as much love, to put as much positivity back into the world as I can with whatever time I have left on this planet. So with your father and mm. was it your grandmother? They, yes. they were both dying of cancer and you helped. And I believe it was different forms of cancer from what I've 
run into. Is that correct, Terry? Yeah, my my grandmother had lymphoma and my dad had end stage breast cancer. Oh wow. Do you did you learn anything about how they lived until they died, like how they survived cancer until they passed? Yeah, I, I think and and that was really especially with my dad, you know, when he was diagnosed, they were like, okay, this was back in the 1980s. They did not know what to do with men with breast cancer. They knew what to do with women. And so for him, it was literally, let's throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks. And I mean, they did things like remove his testicles because they thought, well, maybe it's hormonal, you know, similar to the way it is in women. And if we, you know, so they were just kind of groping at straws, but they also pretty much like, we don't know what to do. We're just, we're going to try some stuff. But he lived for three and a half years, basically after receiving a terminal diagnosis. And I believe the reason he did is because he had a purpose. He, he went to work up until two weeks before he died. And let me kind of qualify that. I don't think your job has to be your purpose. You know, I, I think you can have a job and maybe your purpose is writing or, you know, playing a musical instrument or, or volunteer, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be your job. But for him, his purpose was his job. And, and I, I saw that. And I always remembered that it's like, you know, they told him, basically, you're dead. And yet he lived three and a half years. So I don't put a lot of stock in doctors that say, you know, oh, you only have six months, or you only have a year or stuff like that. They don't know you, they don't know your mind, they don't know your resolve, they don't know how committed you are, maybe you're child's get married, you want to be there for that. So you know what, you're going to hang on and live to do that. So don't get too excited if a doctor tells you only oh, have six months to live. That's up to you a lot of times. Wow. I know right now, um, at least two friends whose parents have actually just received that kind of information, um, which is, you've been there. It's, it's terrifying. So you received that information as a son. And now you've received it yourself what's it like being on the other coin you know i i am not going to sit here and tell you it hasn't been hard it, it, it has I, I i mean i i talk a lot about being positive and and using your pain to make you stronger and things like that but do i have bad days yeah do i do i get down do i cry do i feel sorry for myself yes i do i there's no s on my chest i do not wear a cape so, you know, it's, I, I guess it goes back to, we're all going to have pain in our lives, you know, and it doesn't have to be cancer pain like I have, you know, you could flunk a test at school or break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend or, you know, not get the, the job you want or whatever. We're all going to experience pain. Pain is inevitable. Suffering, on the other hand, that's optional. That's what you do with that pain. Do you use it to make you stronger and tougher and more determined? Or do you feel sorry for yourself and kind of wallow in it and let it overwhelm you? I choose to do the, the first part. I, I just, I use it to make me stronger. I use it to make me more determined. And I wish I knew how I did that. I mean, it's been nine years of going through what I described earlier. It's kind of the old Winston Churchill quote, you know, if you're going through hell, keep going. That's what I do. I just keep going. Yeah. What kind of pain are you in? if you don't mind me asking. So I, I have no left leg, but I have a very painful left leg. Is it like the ghost leg? Yeah, that phantom pain. Yeah, yeah, it, it's very much like phantom pain. I am on a 
I was on a medication originally called gabapentin, and that really didn't do a lot. I'm on a, a, another drug now called Lyrica, which helps. But during the week that I'm taking my clinical trial drug, the, that drug seems to just exacerbate the pain and it's worse and it hurts. And, you know, my ankle hurts. Well, I don't have an ankle. I, how can my ankle hurt? It, it's, it's the weirdest thing in the world. You know, you live your entire life with a limb and then when it's gone, your brain still works like it's still there. Yeah, I didn't think, you know, phantom pain was real, but it certainly has been real for me. And then the other pain is just the drugs that I'm on, what they do to my body in terms of throwing up and I shake a lot and I have a fever and it's, it's pretty ugly. But like I said, maybe it's helping the doctors to find a drug that will help me and maybe help somebody else down the line. And for you, you, you don't believe like you'll be cured one day. You do think you will pass away from cancer. Yeah. I, I mean, if, if I was betting in, you know, Las Vegas here in the U S I would, I would bet that I'm probably not going to beat this, but that doesn't mean I don't pray every day for that miracle, you know, and, and there are miracles every single day. And, and I don't worry a lot about dying. I, I, I mean, I, I feel that I found my purpose in life. I live that purpose. So death does not scare me. When I found out I had all this, you know, my leg amputated and things like that, I went to the mortuary. I went to the cemetery. I, you know, I, I went to the, the church and I planned my funeral. And, and, and I got some backlash from that. People were like, you know, isn't that kind of defeatist? And I kind of looked at them like, Last time I checked, I think we're all going to die. I mean, I'm not doing anything that you're not all going to have to do at some point in time. Everybody dies, but not everybody really lives. And that's a huge distinction that I don't think people realize. So death for me, because I found my purpose and lived it, doesn't really scare me that much. That's so brave, Terry. Honestly, I'm just, I am terrified <laughs> of dying. Um, and I have... I, I don't know. I definitely take steps every day. I literally live every day trying to be like, it's my last, because when I was younger, I lost my cousin in a motorcycle accident. And I think you take events like that and it makes you live your life woken up because you realize actually every day is precious. One question I have for you, and maybe you won't know how to answer this because it's more from the perspective of like your, your family I know a couple of my friends who I mentioned before who have received this information about their parents being terminal. There's a level of like guilt to when they're not with them. Did you ever feel that with, with your father and your grandmother? And as now you're on the other side of that, what, would, what advice would you give to them maybe to help them release that guilt? You know, I, I, never, really, I never really felt that with my father. I, I remember there was an incident where my, my dad was very weak and, and needed help getting dressed and things like that. And I remember one day I was, he had just taken a shower and I was helping him put his pajamas on and, and I was drying his hair and stuff like that. And he reached out his hand, like he wanted to shake my hand. And I'm like, what, what are you doing? You know? And, and, and so I shook his hand and in the palm of his hand was a hundred dollar bill. And I, I looked at him like, what, what are you doing? I, I mean, I, I, I told him, I said, I feel cheap by what you're trying to do by giving me money 
to take care of you. I, I mean, you and mom took care of my brothers and I our entire life. This is an opportunity for us to do the same for you. So why are you treating me like a prostitute? You know, that you have to pay me. I mean, that's yeah. exactly how I felt. Yeah. That's exactly how I felt. Yeah. And I gave him the money back and I'm like, don't ever do that again. You oh. know, because, you know, I mean, in a way it's kind of the child becoming the parent, you know? And so from that perspective, it was like, no, I wanted to be there. I wanted, <clears throat> excuse me, to help. Now, I also was a young man, kind of like you're a young woman, you know, sort of ready to make my mark in the world. But that kind of had a, I had to pull that back because the, the priority was my father. So I would suggest to people that just spend time with them. You know, you, you don't have to give up your life. I would not expect my daughter to give up her life to take care of me, but spend some time with me. You know, I, we've, we filled out a little booklet about, you know, what was my life like growing up? What do I remember about, you know, my first girlfriend, my, my first dance, my, you know, first day in school and, and things like that. What do I remember about that? And then we wrote that down in a book. And, and so when I'm gone, you'll, you'll know what I thought, what I felt and, and things like that. So spend some time with your, with your family, because that's the only thing, you know, cancer can take all my physical faculties, but cancer can't touch my heart. It can't touch my mind and it can't touch my soul. So that's, that's who I am. This is just a vessel to, to house who I am or what I am. So don't be afraid to, to be in there. Don't be afraid to watch that person cry. I never seen my dad cry until he got sick, you know, and it was like, he was, he was six foot five, 250 pounds. So he was a big man. And he lost a ton of weight when he was sick. He, 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 you know, he got all blotchy, got gray, he got all kinds of physical things that happened to him. But that wasn't who my dad was. You know, the inside, the, the, the heart, the mind, the soul, that's who we are. And I think if we keep that in perspective, it doesn't really, you know, whether you're taller or skinnier or short or fat or it doesn't matter. That's not who you are. At the end of the day, we are all going out the same way. I think I, I was reading this post the other day of this girl who was 26 and she posted this the day before she died from cancer. And she said, like, she gave a list of all these tips, which I always find very I, I'm very pulled in by advice given from people who've gone through things, um, which is why I'm very excited to have you on, Terry. Um, she said, and what it sounds similar to what you're saying is she said, you know, at the end of the day, I spent so much time in the gym and worrying about my clothes, my weight, how other people like thought I looked. She was like, but now that I'm actually on my deathbed, I, I literally, I don't care about any of that. That's not what matters. I could, I would just give one more day to spend it with the family and to spend it with the dog. And I think it's a, such an amazing lesson for younger people as well to just remember what's important. You know, don't spend your life complaining about little things. Would yeah. You? I mean, we all want, you know, we all want to have, you know, that make a lot of money, have that great paying job and have power and prestige and, you know, status and authority and stuff like that. But, but at the end of the day, at the end of your life, none of that comes with you. You know, none, none of that goes with you at all. There's a, there's an old story about Alexander the Great, who, <clears throat> um, when he was dying, he called all his counselors together and he, 
And he says, I want you to carry out my, my final three wishes. He said, my first wish is only my physicians carry my coffin to the grave. The second wish is I want the road to the cemetery strewn with gold and precious stones. And the third is I want my hands hanging out of my coffin. And one of his counselors said to him, well, you know, Alexander, you're, you're the most powerful man in the world. Those are pretty strange wishes. Why do you want these particular wishes to be carried out? He said, well, number one, I want people to realize that no doctor can cure anything. They can only help the body to cure itself. So I want my doctors to be the ones carrying my coffin to the grave. He said, the second thing is I spent my entire life concerned with, you know, conquering other empires and accumulating gold and, and riches and precious stones. And yet none of those can come with me to the next life. So I want this, the road to the cemetery to be strewn with those as I go as a reminder to, to people about that. And then thirdly, with my hands hanging out of my coffin, I want people to realize that I came into this world empty handed and I pretty much leave it the same way that I came into it. So I always tell people, you know, the only thing that we can take with us beyond this life is the love that we have in our hearts. Other than that, nothing else really matters. Whoa. I just need that to sink in for a minute, Terry. <laughs> that for me is just, yeah. When you said you can't take anything with you, it's just so true. Like you can buy nice things, you can achieve great things, but yeah, at the end of the day, just enjoy it. And I think one of your four things that you tell people is what you leave behind is what you weave in the heart of others, right? So that goes- Yeah, my four truths. See, I do my homework, Terry. You do, you do a nice job. <laughs> Thanks. What are your other three lessons? So the first one is, um, and, and I, I have them on a post note. I'm looking at them right now. I have a post note on my, on my desk, in my office, and I see them multiple times during the day and they kind of get reinforced with me. So the first one is you need to control your mind or your mind will control you. You know, to the mind, the status quo is comfortable and familiar and should just be left alone. So anytime you want to step out of your comfort zone, your mind is going to kick in. You know, it would be like, okay, Jessica gets up one morning and says, I'm going to go skydiving. Your mind would be like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Jessica. You know, the plane might crash or your parachute may not open. I, I, I mean, but that's, that's your mind. That's a self-preservation kind of thing, you know? So, but think of something more practical, you know? I can actually, Terry, I can. I just quit my corporate job to go do something really passionate. And the voices in my head were like, be careful or don't do it. Like just literally they were just, the voices in my head were so loud and I couldn't really, I couldn't distinguish. I was like, what is instinct versus what is negative like thoughts that aren't helpful? Um, so yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely, I was just going to say that, you know, I know you're starting a new job, you know, how many, how many times did your brain say, oh, you know, you're comfortable where you are and you know, you're making good money and you might not get along, you know, all those kind of things. That's your brain saying, we don't like you getting outside. But the only way you're going to grow, the only way you're going to move past those comfort zones is to do those things that scare you. That's the only way. And I always tell, especially young people, if you have a passion in your heart and your soul to do something and it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things you are going to regret are not going to be the things you did. They're going to be the things that you didn't do 
And by that time, it's going to be too late to do them. So that's number one, the, the control your mind. The second one is embrace the pain that we all experience in life and use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual. We know our, our minds are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. So to the brain, you know, they don't want, you don't want pain. And, and we see this all the time. You know, people take drugs, they take alcohol, they commit suicide because of pain, whether it's mental pain, emotional pain, physical pain. That's how they mitigate it. What I've learned to do, because I've had so much of it, is just the opposite. Don't run from it, take it, flip it inside and use it as energy, burn it as fuel to make you stronger, to make you more determined, to make you tougher. And believe me, if you, if I can do it, anybody can do it. I am not some big, you know, really tough guy. I'm not. When I was a little kid, I used to wait till my mom got out of the car at the pediatrician and I lock all the doors from the inside because I didn't want to go in and get a shot. You know, that's how frightened I was of medical people. Now I just use that and turn it inside and it makes me stronger. So that's number two. Number three, you talked about what we, we, what we leave behind is what we weave in the hearts of others. That's looking at the end game of your life. You know, what are people going to say about you at your funeral? Would your ancestors be proud of the life that you have lived? It's just something to think about. Because when you think about it now, you can always say, look, I don't like that. What, you know, I don't like what people are going to say. I want to change that. I'm not telling you to live your life for other people, but I am telling you that you know, you, you want to think about your end game. Did you want to question for you then? Sure. When you found out you had cancer, had you already felt like you were living your life, like the way you were meant to be living it, or did it make you realize you needed to make some changes? I already felt I'd lived, I was living the life that I was supposed to be, that I was supposed to live. I always felt I found my purpose and I lived it. Damn, Terry. That's, that is yes. Woo. Cause you wouldn't want to have to come to that realization when you're having to go through all these treatments. You're right. Amazing. And that's why it's great that you're, you're out there preaching that because people need to not just have this life altering event to tell you to wake up, do it now. Yeah, exactly. Why aren't you doing it now? And, and part of that is, is fear. I, I, I wrote a book last year and one of the chapters in it is, is entitled, most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. And, and I've done that. I mean, I'd like, you know, I, I'd really like to do that. Ooh, that scares me. Or what if I fail? What would people say about me? Who cares? Who cares? Especially, I have another chapter about failing and the importance of failing, especially when you're young. Because when you fail, you learn. Well, I'm not going to say that. Hopefully you learn. A lot of people <laughs> don't learn. But yes, it, some people if you can learn something, better. yeah, and, and you know, you start a business and the business fails. Oh, people think you're a failure. Did you learn something? Yeah. Can I start another business over here based on what I learned and maybe be successful? Maybe. I don't know. But if you can learn, that's, that's what you want to do. You want to take all your experiences in life and learn from them because they make you, as you say, wise. You learn things. You can impart things to other people. And you can also use that to make decisions in your life that, you know, are going to benefit you. Uh, number four is pretty self-explanatory. As long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And, and that's, you know, we talk a lot about pain. Now, my pain is going to end someday. 
may end through surgery. It may end through medication. It may end when I die. But if I quit, if I give up, if I give in, I am always going to have pain with me. So for me, I would rather just keep going. I would just rather keep hitting that wall and knowing that that experience for me is causing me to be stronger, to be more independent, to be tougher. And, and for me, that works. It may not for other people, and it's not an easy thing to do, but you, if you give up, if you give in to whatever's haunting you or, you know, and I realize there's a, there's a finite amount of pain people can take, that there's a, there's a, there's a point where we're all going to break, where we're all going to be, you know, I just can't do this anymore. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to take that right to the nth degree. And there's a, there's a Navy SEAL, which is a branch of the military here in the United States, who talks about the 40% rule. And what he says is, if you think you're at the end of your rope, if you think you're done, if you think you can't go on, you're only at 40% of your maximum, and you still have another 60% left in reserve. So if you ever feel that way, and I felt that way, I remember laying on a gurney in an emergency room with tears literally coming down my cheeks and looking at my wife and saying, please let me die. Please let me get out of this body that keeps attacking me. And I remembered that 40% rule. And it's like, you know what? Nope, you're at the end of your rope. Tie a, tie a knot in the end of that rope and just keep hanging on. Wow. We're talking about giving advice to people who are potentially giving up. What advice for you would you say helped you in that moment when you're on the gurney? Like other than the 40%, was there anything else keeping you going? I think certainly my faith. And, and one thing I've learned during this nine-year odyssey through cancer is that <clears throat> The limits that we, the, the limits in our lives are the limits we put on ourselves, that we can do so much more than we ever think we can do. We limit ourselves. It's not an exterior thing where, you know, my boss limits me or my teacher limits me or something like that. The limits are, are placed by you on you. Get rid of those limits. Stop that. You know, there's nothing, I always tell people, everything you need to be successful in life is already inside you. You don't have to go find it. You don't have to go look for it. It's there. You've just got to pull it out and use it to your benefit. How do you think have, like having cancer <clears throat> helped you pull that out of you? I think you just have to be open to it with your heart. It's there. You just have to sometimes dig down really deep for it. And, and that's going to take you to some, some gloomy, some ugly, some, some very difficult places. But as long as you keep going, as long as you keep moving forward, you will eventually find it. It's the people that quit. And, and I've seen, unfortunately, through my cancer experience and being a police officer, I've seen a lot of people die. And I've been there when a lot of people have passed away. And it's been my experience that the people who die, what you and I would probably call peaceful deaths, seem to be the people who find their purpose in life and live it. But the people who go kicking and screaming, you know, who want another day, want another week, I want another year, those are the people who never did anything with their life. They never tried to find their uncommon reason, their extraordinary purpose while they were put on this earth. There's a, there's a Native American Blackfoot proverb here in the United States that I heard years ago, and it goes like this. When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. 
Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. That's what I want at the end of my life. That's so beautiful, Terry. What advice would you give to others who are living terminally right now? Just to do that, to live, as you said, to live terminally. Don't, you know, again, I've, I've, you know, seen my father been told, you know, just go home and die. And he lived for three and a half years. It's up to you how long you want to live. And, and I always tell people, you know, my expiration date, way above my pay grade. You know, I don't spend a lot of time worrying about when that's going to happen because it's already been predetermined. God knows when that is. I don't. And so I don't worry about it. If you spend all the time worrying about dying, you're not going to spend any time actually living. So spend that time as much as you can living and loving the people that are around you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Terry, for coming on. This has been a beautiful like love note to people out there who need those words, I think. Because well, thank you, Jessica. It's, it's people like you that give people like me a forum. And hopefully between the two of us, we're going to make a difference in some of the members of your audience. Uh, so virtual, thank you for that. Virtual high five, Terry. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> thank you again. I really appreciate it. And please enjoy those Colorado mountains for me. I will definitely do that. I'll think about you the next time I'm going through the mountain passes. Oh, jealous. Okay. Have a good one. Thanks again. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to I Can Relate. If you'd like to hear more of these episodes, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can do this on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or any other platform you're listening on. To become a part of the community, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Join me next time for another episode. Thanks for listening.